Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. What's the addressable market? Who's going to buy? Where can we sell and who's going to buy? And the reality is, is everyone has a phone. So you have to think about like, what drives a customer to want to buy SMS? Is it something specific to that business? Is it their customer base being more likely to respond to SMS? This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello. And welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Zara Bukhari, who's currently a Senior Sales Operations Manager at Clavio. Now, I love Clavio. Before we jump in, I, I used to use Clavio for, for an e-commerce store we had. And they automated the, the email automations. And this was like four years ago. Yeah, we've grown like crazy. We actually have SMS now too. Really? Incredible. <laughs> yeah, we just released it. Yeah. I don't want to derail this whole interview with, with e-commerce chat because we're really here to talk about the, the world of sales operations. Now, Zara, I believe you have somewhat around 12 to 13 years in the sales and sales analysis operations game. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I do. Incredible. So typically the first question is, how did you make your way from uh, profession A into sales ops? But it seems like you, from the early days of your career, you entered into the world of sales. Could you just clarify if that, if that is the case? Yeah, no, that's a, um, that's a, a good question. So I, I have had most of my experience in sales and analytics. Um, but the reality is that I started my career in finance, in asset management. So I don't really, I don't, I don't even really count that a lot of times when I'm thinking about my ops career, um, although operational in some ways. Um, so I actually, uh, you know, I, I started my career in asset management um, at a, a local asset manager. And I think I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was, you know, doing um, admin work for a portfolio manager. So admin work with a portfolio manager would be like processing, you know, transactions um, on the secondary market. Um, helping like balance their books. Um, and it was really just one of those like learning the way of the world. Um, 
And we sat next to an HR team and I'm kind of an extroverted person. And someone in the HR team was like, you would be great in sales. And like, that just shows how little this woman knows about sales. because It's not about being an extrovert. It's about having a thick skin. It's about, you know, being a great listener. You know, it's about being, I hope it doesn't say that I'm none of those things, but um, it, it's so much more than just being extroverted. But because I was young and she seemed, you know, really excited and she's like, the money's great. I was like, okay, let's do it. So I interviewed for a team that sold exchange traded funds um, in, in, at our asset manager. And we work with traders um, at hedge funds and other asset managers. And, you know, I think as soon as I joined, I realized that like sales was not for me, especially in finance, because, you know, one, there's a culture, right? Like I'm like a young South Asian woman in like dealing with like a sea of not young South Asian women who couldn't pronounce my name, who, you know, who, who didn't have the same personality, all kind of fit one, one package. And, and, and I wasn't one of those. So I instantly felt kind of uncomfortable. I wasn't super passionate about, you know, exchange traded funds. Um, so I was working with these group of really great, smart guys. And I realized very quickly, the one thing they were missing was someone who knew how to like open Excel and, you know, log into Salesforce. That was, I think, the, the two things that I was like, these guys don't know how to do this. I can really drive value here. And they were just implementing Salesforce at the time at the company. Um, so I really started on just doing like competitive analysis and um, helping set up dashboards in the Salesforce instance because it was new. Um, I also did like a, a SharePoint page for the team. Um, I then moved on to building content. So really, really great content that got to go to like, you know, um, uh, different um, other asset managers, sorry. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was great. And I think I was able to learn a lot on my own, but I very quickly realized in four years that um, I needed a teacher. I needed someone who could guide me. I needed somewhere where it would move a little bit faster, where, you know, there was more innovation. And I was having lunch with a friend and she was working across the street and she was like, well, I'm at a startup and we're doing that here. You know, like you should, you should come over. We have an ops team, they're hiring. Um, so I joined and that's really, I think in, in 2014 where my sales ops career really took off, I think I'd want to say. Got it. So it was almost, it was like an organic start where you, you were in a sales function and you realized actually selling was not great. So you shifted your time over and then you, really got into the world of sales ops when you moved and it, away from it was State Farm that was the financial services company and then Localytics that was the startup. So the, the company was State Street Global Advisors. So they're a bank, but they have an asset management arm um, that's pretty big in Boston. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it went from moving, yeah, the finance world to the SaaS world um, to Localytics. Yeah. Got it. Do you know Mark Feldman, by the way? He's also a guest on the show who used to be a sales ops leader, I think, at Localytics. He may have moved on now. He, I think he might have post-dated me. Got it. Um, awesome. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. After he might you. never work together. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fair enough. Post-dated might not be the word, but yeah, he was after me, I think. But I heard he's great. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was an awesome interview. Shout out to Mark. Now, so we're not, we joined Localytics. Were you the only sales ops resource or did you join part of a team? That's a great question. I was a part of a team. Got it. And so you actually were able to, to I guess, learn more about what a function, seller function looks like. Exactly. Yeah. It was uh, our director. It was sort of a, a lead analyst. Um, there was a 
Salesforce admin. And then there was myself. I was an analyst who sort of partnered with sales management. Um, the sales ops team there really handled pre and post sale. Um, but my function, you know, is where really any humble beginning starts, right? Really like deal desk, you know, spiffs with management, understanding basic reporting, dashboards, um, enablement. But uh, about a year in, there was a pretty massive layoff um, at Localytics. And uh, our director had left in that process. And then um, someone elected to leave about a month later and she was our admin. So it really gave me the opportunity to get certified and learn the ins and outs of, of Salesforce, which is great. Yeah, I did see that on LinkedIn, certified Salesforce admin. Zooming in to, to today and Clavio's function, if we can, could you just roughly share the a rough number of reps that your your team is supporting, and then also a rough number of people in the sales ops team? Sure. Um, so, in terms of reps, um, right now we're at a hundred, give or take. Uh, I always like to shout out that the that Clavio has joined. Um, sorry, has has grown uh, in headcount. Um, double year over year. Sorry, I didn't say that right, but we've doubled in headcount year over year, which is pretty amazing. Um, and you know, uh, where we're at, you know, about a hundred give or take right now, we estimate ending the year upwards to one hundred and fifty, which is amazing. Awesome. And then, how many people in the sales ops function? Yeah, so the sales ops function, um, we have currently today eleven people, but we're actually about to welcome. Three more, so we're we're probably going to end the year closer to twenty, which is great. And could you break down the the, the functions or the roles in the department of between yeah. those twenty? Sure. Yeah. So um, we have two sort of main functions. Uh, we have a data function, and then we have a systems function. So everyone in the data function reports directly to me. Um, and then everyone in the systems function reports to a business systems manager who reports to me. Um, in the data function, we have sort of um, two roles. One is a specialist role. So you can be a senior specialist or a specialist. And those, pers- those people's responsibility is to align directly with a business leader. Um, and they're supposed to help them with, you know, forecasting, planning, um, process improvement. Um, and then sort of everything in between, right? Whether it's, you know, presentations for their individual teams, um, you know, one-off analysis. Uh, The other role we have is an order admin role. Um, So the order admin role is going to be sort of like a traditional deal desk role, but because Clavio, you know, is is high volume. So, um, uh, you know, we're we're very transactional in our sale. Um, We have, you know, thousands of deals that need to be reviewed um, and we're a credit card business, so they come in pretty automated, um, right? There's not like a, a contract you can review and double check. So those roles, they're they're pretty they're they're in the weeds of ensuring that our data is accurate. They're also supporting our reps, like on the front end. So they're the ones who, when we have a, a question in you know a shared Slack channel of you know, hey, why wasn't this lead converted? They're the ones responding and answering those questions. Um, in the systems function, we have uh, a developer today. Um, a systems analyst and a business systems analyst. Um, the developer, I think their responsibility is clear. The systems analyst is doing a lot of our day-to-day systems management, whether it's helping reps, um, vendor management, troubleshooting issues, basic Salesforce configuration. Um, 
And then we have a BSA who's pretty new to our team. Um, she's great. She's going to be responsible. I've really, I've really stretched my team to sort of wear both the tech and the business hats. And I think we're now growing into a position now where people don't have to do that, right? They can really spend their time focusing on the technical aspect. They don't need to be, you know, a business expert. Um, and our BSA will help, help help those people really focus on their roles. Um, and then our manager, who's phenomenal, she really is still today wearing like the the strategic project hats. So we're very much individual contributors in our role as well. Um, I, I I fully own our sales plan. I you know still today do a lot in in the terms of reporting and answering questions. Um, we're starting to grow away from that, right? So she's going to now hire more analysts, more senior systems analysts to start taking on those strategic projects. Um, so yeah, that's the team today. Got it. And then who do you report into? Great question. Today, I report to our VP of sales. Um, I actually worked with him at Localytics um, and we have a great working relationship. So it's been great. Amazing. So did you join Clavier or, or did he or she join Clavier first and then you migrated together, I guess? He joined. It's kind of a great story. You, you, you might not end up using this, but I will share it with you guys just so you know. When he... Um, was thinking about leaving Localytics. I actually didn't work for him. Um, we were we worked together, but it was very much just like we just had like a, a basic employee relationship. He was a great guy. I liked working with him. Um, but I think close to my end of my time at Localytics, I was pretty unhappy. You know, I, I wanted to change. I was I was I was ready for something different to grow something. And I started sort of taking him as a mentor. I didn't know he was planning on leaving. Um, and then when it came time, he was getting ready to leave. He was like, "Listen, this company has it all." Like. You know, they're doubling and always possible. And being like the forever like pessimistic ops person, I was like, yeah, sure. Every startup says that. Um, and but I, I really love working with him, so I went. And um, and yeah, he's been right. It's been great. It's like a, a rocket ship, so it's been awesome. And um, I I think that story is is highly relevant because we've had this a, a number of times before, where uh, sales ops managers or leaders or directors have kind of moved to a business and then almost pulled people with them yeah. because you have the trust, you know, how, you know, you work effectively together. And so that makes total 100%. sense. Um, what is the biggest focus of the sales ops function for Clavio in 2021? Uh, that's a great question. Um, it's hard to pick just one. Um, for me specifically, um, if I had to say I could pick one thing out of everything, out of all of our, you know, Clavio's big business goals. Um, I really think this is the year where our sales ops team really gets, it really scales to support the business that we are today. Um, I don't know how much you know about Clavio and our background, but um, you know, we're a fully bootstrapped company. Oh, I didn't we've know that. That's incredible. Like crazy. Yeah, we've grown like crazy. And, and the reality for anyone who's been in a bootstrap company is like, before you get to that like adult stage, right? you're doing everything you can to be scrappy and to be lean. Um, and, you know, I, I'm so thankful for the team I get to work with because like, I've really been able to ask a lot of them. Um, and they, everyone has ended up wearing a million hats. Um, and where that is so beneficial to the company, right? Where like you get to save on money, you get people who are these like amazing subject matter experts because they've seen it all. They've seen every aspect of it. You end up losing too, right? This year, I've really come into a world where, like, I I see where managers don't feel supported. I feel I see where they kind of feel like, oh, well, you must be too busy to help me with this, right? So this is the year where I am very hopeful that we will now start hiring to get you know a single 
point of contact for every leader, right? So they don't have to feel like a project is too small or a question they want to answer is not relevant. Um, and then I think on the on the on the the more business side, um, we just released SMS. Um, well, we re-released SMS, I should say, um, into a, a subscription model. And um, we're growing that part of our business, right? We're, we're thinking of all the new markets we can go into. That's the most obvious right now. Um, and I think figuring out ways to scale our systems and our processes to support those the, those new endeavors, I think, is, is, is really huge for us right now. It's challenging. So it's the focus, I think. <laughs> yeah. And, and so just for the benefit of the audience, Kavio is yeah. essentially e- e-commerce email automation software yeah. and the, the core product is the email, but then you've also, I, I assume, released the automation product for, for texting as well. So yeah, so we um, are a marketing automation platform and our, our core product historically has been email. Uh, we actually last year, um, or maybe even the year before, sorry, I'm, it's, with COVID, everything is like a blur, but <laughs> the year before released a customer analytics product that came, it, it came with the product. You didn't need to sell it. You didn't need to buy it um, separately. Um, and that allows you to see the, you know, the insights into your, to your customers um, and sort of an analytics level. And now more recently, we released SMS, yeah. Awesome. And so do you have like a separate sales team or sales plan for SMS? How's, how's that going to impact the work of the sales ops team? That's such a good question. So we did have a separate plan um, coming into the year. Um, but what I will say is like SMS is a really, really difficult um, I guess, product to plan for because there's not a ton of data, right? When you think about if you've never sold it before, you one, don't have any of your own historical data, which we have heavily relied on when we think about planning the year. Um, but then when you think about like out in the market and we have a phenomenal BI team that pr- produces a bunch of data for us, but you know, really what questions do you ask when you plan? You think to yourself, well, how many, what's the addressable market, right? who's going to buy, right? Where can we sell and who's going to buy? And the reality is, is everyone has a phone. So you have to think about like what drives a customer to want to buy SMS? Is it like, is it, um, is it something specific to that business? Is it their customer base being more likely to, you know, respond to SMS? Um, you know, is it, is it based on like their, their, the segment they're in, right? If they're higher or lower in the segment. So it's all things to think about. And I think we've made some some high-level assumptions. And now that we've released the subscription, I think we're going to have a few critical months where we get to now look at the data and see, you know, who this is working for and, and how it's working and how we can benefit our customers more and, and, and help them make more money. It sounds like a quintessential sales ops problem, which yeah. I'm sure you'll be very <laughs> excited about uh, cracking it. And as you get more information, you're like, it will become more clear, I guess. Um, exactly. Final question from me, Zara, who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Oh my God, that is such a great question. Ugh. I don't know how pie in the sky this has to be because there's actually people locally, like in Boston, that I just, I, I even know personally and I don't get to talk to that much. I mean, yeah, anybody. I think anybody. Oh, geez. Okay, so the first choice would be Mark Benioff. Not because, you know, he has any specific sales ops insights to give me, but just because I feel like that would make great conversation with any sales ops person. Say I know him. Um, mm, yeah, true. 
on a local level, um, uh, this is really, really tough. So there, there's a gentleman at HubSpot. Um, I want to say he's our, the VP of um, operations, Channing there. And he, I've gotten the chance to talk to him a couple of times and he is just a wealth of knowledge. Like he has so many great insights into how to scale a transactional um, or a high velocity rather um, uh, uh, sales team. Uh, and the time I have gotten with him has just been very insightful and um, he's given me a lot of great insight. So I, I would love to, yeah, I know his time is precious. So I would love to, this feels a little creepy because God forbid he hears this, uh, this, this podcast. He's going to be like, Lord, never taking a call with this girl again. But yes, I would 100% love to pick his brain more any chance I get. Amazing. Well, Zara, now I'm going to bring in my wonderful co-host, Alex, who's been furiously typing away with notes um, to come on and ask some more specific questions. Alex, welcome to the call. Thank you for letting me out of my dark room. <laughs> in a cave. <laughs> um, no, thank you so much, um, Sarah. It's been, been really interesting listening in and you, you know, you described Clavier's growth, you know, like a, a rocket ship, and you said, you know, 2x every year. And if my math is correct, you've been there three years, which means that's that's approximately 8x since you've been there. Um, so um I'm I'm guessing your career growth's been fairly like a rocket ship there as well, then, because you're you're leading a team of soon to be, or you know, in the year being 20. And I just thought that might be a really interesting thing to sort of dive down in because obviously would wouldn't span a spectrum of places but would love to would be really interesting interesting to know how do you go about sort of building a team kind of she said sort of really organizing and splitting the function so you gave us a really detailed breakdown which is great how you've done it but just some sort of guidance on how you've approached that um, as you've sort of grown yeah that's a great question um I, I should start by saying you know when when you guys reached out to me i was really excited and listening to some of the podcasts i was like wow a lot of these people have so much experience and i never once try to claim that I, I have like the silver bullet or, or all the experience to, to answer all the questions. But you're right, Clavio has given me a lot of opportunity to gain confidence in answering, like in building and answering really difficult questions. Um, so when I joined Clavio, um, it was, I was taking over from someone who's actually a manager in our BI team now. He's, he's, he's super smart, but he's, his goals were never operations. He was just sort of, you know, helping, um, grow the function uh, to the best of his ability with the experience he had. He did a great job, uh, but he had a co-op. So I came in and I inherited one co-op or intern um, and it was her and I, and I was kind of still in that, that very much that, that prior experience brain where I was like, I can just be a jack of all trades. I can, I can sort of do as much as I can um, on my own and, and that should be enough. And so I was like managing our Salesforce instance. I was putting up, you know, helping put up a partner program. I was helping, you know, begin driving more outbound revenue. I was, you know, helping doing a million things. And and I realized very quickly, like, I have to answer that question. Like, how do you build a team to support a, a business like this? And it's funny because, you know, um, when Tom asked me the question, that's still my answer, right? I just need to get this team right. So I think in growing it, it sort of happened organically, right? So I think I mentioned the partner program. We had a phenomenal partner program at the time, but it had so much room for improvement in ways we could leverage our partners, um, you know, even more. And and uh, we wanted to make some 
some major improvements, which included like standing up a partner portal, you know, improving the program. So it incentivized our partners to work so hard. Um, and so uh, I quickly was like, okay, I'm doing all this work. I need to bring in a channel operations specialist. That was my first sort of specialist that I was like, I need someone who can go out and partner with channel leadership on my behalf that I can trust that, you know, we'll do a good job. Um, and then I think soon after that, I was like, okay, our systems are a little overbuilt, right? You're this high velocity business we're getting, you know, thousands of, you know, um, leads and, 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 and we need to make sure that we're, we're building a system that can scale. So I found um, who's now our business systems manager, this phenomenal woman, Catherine, who, you know, she ended up running systems for a year independently. And, and she did some amazing things. She completely rebuilt our lead routing system. She moved the entire company from light uh, classic to lightning. She moved our product to Salesforce sync um, to, a, to Heroku, which made it a, a more efficient sync um, with the help of, of some other great engineers on our team. Uh, so, you know, that was sort of the next critical hire. Um, we then promoted our uh, our co-op to actually a full-time role, which is phenomenal. And that's sort of where it just sort of like, was like, we were, we opened the gates. We were like, okay, where can we fill spots? Who can we add? And it, it kind of was like a little haphazard. Still being lean, it was like, what are the holes and how can we fill, fill them, right? Who can we get to fill them? And so that was really last year was like, who do we need? To like, like what butts and seats do we need to make sure things don't break? Um, and that was getting some of the, the roles I had discussed. And now this year, it's really focusing on like, okay, great. There's no not a lot of water spitting out of those holes that I described. But like now, how do we build it? So we have everyone sort of like humming. We have like a, a sort of like um, an operational system that works that like, you know, if a manager comes in, they know, you know what to expect, how to be supported how to forecast the business, how to plan the business, how to understand how their team's performing. So um, that's sort of been my, my method as of now. Thanks very much. It sounds a bit like, I suppose, I suppose Herded is just like with sales ops, is that you see a problem in the, in the days like that, you saw a problem in, in your life, sounds the way of putting it, but you know, your, your, your work and what you're able to yeah. do. You're like, go and yeah. solve this, so we find this individual to fit. Um, and yeah, very very nice use of, of, of overlapping skill sets and you know engineering your 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 job in the same way that you you're doing to sort of serve the business. Well that's actually I really appreciate that you said that because although this year it's getting like those, you know, that alignment and that operating method, I think the next view then is like, well then how do we get everyone thinking about the future, not just thinking about the now? You know what I mean? So it's 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 gonna be, I think, evolving over time. Thanks. And the other thing that it, it struck me is um you know, obviously, sales ops is very, you know, be very in the weeds kind of role, because, and and that often what, what draws people to it. You know, like solving problems, understanding things, making things more efficient, better, etc. And as you know, you're building a team out to twenty, and and inevitably you're you're less and less in the weeds because you've got to say you go do that for me. And how? Just wondered a bit about how you're finding that transition. Any um, recommendations? You know, if you think there's anything reasons to do it or not to do it for different personality types just anything you can speak on that yeah sure that's a great question um i think when i first started growing up the team one area where i really struggled was getting comfortable with delegating um and it's something i can i still really struggle with right you feel this guilt that you're putting all this work on other people that you know you feel like is constantly changing i was just in this, this leadership training where they were talking about like how critical it is to feel comfortable giving your teamwork that you don't know how to do yourself Right. And it's, it's so funny when you're in a company that moves as fast, you do it all the time. 
Um, so like, how do you continue to delegate even if you, you know, it, you know, it, it's a lot to ask of a team. Um, and so I, I, I think one area where I've seen success, I mean, one, just in general, you know, as I started growing the team and delegating, I was able to start thinking about bigger picture stuff, right. Uh, our plan for one, I think it just requires a lot of attention and a lot of time, but, um, you know, one thing I was doing was I was independently forecasting for, you know, our sales leaders. I was doing it on a, I was doing it twice a week and it ate up a lot of time. And what I found was I was working like crazy and then it'd come time to do the forecast. And I would be like, oh shoot, I have to go do that. So I would quickly put together some numbers and take a look at the data. And then I'd be like, wait, something changed. And now this is going to take up half my day because now I need to look into what changed. I have to dig into the data. I have to understand trends. And sometimes it would take me an entire day, right? And losing a day is really, really hard. Um, so this year, actually, um, I, I love telling the story of our, our co-op who, you know, when I first started, she became a full-time person and she's phenomenal. She's killing it now. So I was like, this would be great for her to learn about. Um, and now she can do it at a more regular cadence, right? Because she has a slightly different bandwidth than me. Um, so I brought her in to do it, you know, full-time and like, just even having her perspective, right? Like I've been able to teach her a lot, but having someone doing it on a daily basis, she catches things that I wouldn't have the bandwidth to catch. She um, approaches things differently, right? She, she She's very technical. She's awesome. Um, so it, it's proved, although challenging to let go. And, and we, I think the first forecast we did, we were both really hard on ourselves because we missed. Um, so it, it, it can be rocky. And, and one thing I also tell my team as they, our team grows and they have to now start delegating is sort of like, you have to be comfortable knowing that that like beginning period, a lot of mistakes are going to happen. They're going to drop the ball. They're going to mess up. You're going to drop the ball. You're going to mess up. And like, but then like as time goes by and you see how it grows, it just, it, it ends up getting solved and taken care of way better than it would have been if you had just done it on your own. Yes, that's really helpful. And I see if I can squeeze one more question in because the other thing that really interested me was, was you talking about your SMS product and, and how you would approach selling a, a new product. And I think you kind of, you know, suggested that yeah, you know, you haven't got the data to lean on, so you just have to make some working assumptions and then and then test it. But I, I was keen to just dive in there and just you know, what, do you have a what's your plan to sort of reevaluate? How are you thinking about how you're going to go about that and what you're hoping to see, etc. Yeah, um, we brought on a, a really great uh, director of SMS more recently, and and having him here, I think, you know, he he's done it. I don't I don't want to take credit. He's done a ton of work on on the initial plan piece. Um, and we've been able to partner with him and sort of just now today, just understand like what underlying data do we need? So come three months from now, we can comfortably say like, okay, this is how much we think we can do. This is what we should expect. Um, so really building basic funnel reporting at this point, right? Um, how many leads do we generate? And I, I, I say basic, but it, it's, it's far from basic, right? Um, running a business where all of your, you know, hundreds of thousands of leads that come in you know, we're all initially representative of a single product. Now you're introducing these, this new lead type, right? This new lead that's coming in that can represent that new product or both products or just the old product. So thinking about answering those questions, which our, our system team has done a, a phenomenal job at, at, at figuring out. So, you know, really understanding like what is our, our, our lead volume? How many of those are we able to schedule meetings with? what's the process that we need to teach our different teams to help them actually be able to drive that data properly or, or, or sorry, rather um, log that data properly. Um, and then 
on from that, like how many opportunities we create, how much of it we win, answering questions like, are, is the seasonality the same as our the rest of our business? Do we have a longer sales cycle, a shorter sales cycle? Um, do these customers ultimately, um, you know, churn or even grow the same way our existing customer base does? So a lot of questions that we need to answer that I think can really be solved with a with a solid funnel. And, and more recently, um, I think I think we've gotten there. Great, that's, that's really helpful. I, I think we often want immediate solutions, but to say, but we can't we can't do it now. But what do we need so we can do it in three months? Is a, is a really helpful approach. That's the hardest part, right? You you work with you know, especially reporting to Tom asked the question: We were report to, and you report into sales. But in my prior company, I reported into finance. And being a sales ops team in a finance org, you almost become like a police, right? You're almost like, we can do this for you. We can't do this for you. Tough luck, right? That that was just the reality in my last company, and it creates some tension between sales and and sales ops because of that. Um, working in sales, there's the benefit that like you're able to build up so much more trust, right? Like I have a great relationship with the person who runs the team, with our directors. Um, and although there's still some, the reality is, is our VP of sales drives our, 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 um, our priorities, right? So um, I think uh, trying to both work with the team and then also teach them why it might take longer or why, you know, as much as a great idea to change a process, you know, should feel like it can happen immediately. There's a reality that like, if we want to do it right, we need time. We need to build requirements. We need to understand. Um, and I get why that can be frustrating, right? We have, we have very lofty goals and, and we're growing like crazy. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a, a thin line to walk. Oh, thank you very much. That was very illuminating. All right, there we go. Zara, thank you uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for uh, what I actually liked, which we hadn't, really done before is the detailed breakdown of the department, like the structure, who reports to who, who are the different job roles. Um, And then there was a couple of really nice learnings in there, particularly I I really do like it when I see sales ops people or like being almost moved around businesses because they formed the relationships with the people that they work with. And I think that's really, really great to see. Um, And so with that, Zara, I want to thank you for coming on and being so honest on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. This is fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.